Unleavened Bread Ministries presents From your hands, your feet, your side Unleavened Bread Bible Studies with David Eels Can quench my thirsting soul Purest water make me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh Jesus, I trust in you Greetings, saints. Many blessings to you. Thank you for joining us today for the Unleavened Bread Bible Study. And uh, Lord, we love you. We praise you. We want to walk in your steps, Lord. And we want to walk in heavenly places. Amen. All right, we're going to call this Walk in Heavenly Places by Faith, number seven. Okay, and it's a good one. So... The first revelation is a revelation given to Debbie Finsky. My mercy is pouring down. Amen. The Lord said, I have extended great mercy to you, my people. My mercy is pouring down like rain, even now, for I see your heart, and I see the desires of your heart to overcome in areas. I see your weaknesses, but you're giving in. You've, you're giving in when you are overcome. And, but I see your desire and I see your heart and I hear your cries of repentance and I forgive. I see deep in your heart. I know your heart and I know your thoughts. I see your hearts as one heart with the desire to press in for more and more of me and for more and more of my power to crush those desires, thoughts, and those temptations of your flesh and of the world that tries to rule you. You shall overcome. I am pouring down my mercy and my grace upon you. I am getting my bride ready. Walk in triumph and continue triumphing for the victory won in your life. Do this by faith, for I see the deep desires of your heart. I see purity I look beyond the weaknesses, and I see purity there. I see um, victory, overcoming victory, and purity is what I see. See it in yourselves, my children, me in you. Look to the cross. There the victory was won. It has been won, and you will come into your victory individually as one. Praise me. Victory will come as you praise me and let the chains of weakness fall. Through praise and faith, it is done. It is done. I see it. Be encouraged, my children. I have nothing but great love for you. My love is a love that sees farther than you see. For I do see the end. See your victory and rejoice in it as you rejoice in my great love and by my great mercy and my great grace. And I see your personal and corporate battles victoriously won by my great mercy and grace. The battles have been won in me. Remain in me with your sight on triumphant victory. There is no defeat. Thank you, Father. 
for all glory and power belong to you and uh, and is ours to have overcoming faith. We look in the mirror and we see Jesus and we know that's our gift from God. What he is, we are today by faith. He lives in us. We don't live anymore. Amen. Thank you for your uh, reigning such great mercy and grace upon us. Uh, we receive it, and we can do nothing of ourselves. But thank you for being uh, such a loving Father and encouraging us in the faith to overcome and see that we are victorious even now by your mercy and grace. And we choose to walk triumphant in over in and over the world and our flesh and over everything the enemy throws at us. And we are, and we will continue to be victorious in you. Thank you, Jesus. All glory to you. And Revelation 12 and 7 says, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. Okay, I want to talk a little about provision here. Samuel Fire shares this, um, 11-21-22. We went to the shops in a town a couple of hours away, and we don't know anyone in this town. We went to get a doorbell, and they only had one left, and it was uh, greatly discounted, praise God, that he always provides even when we don't expect it. We then went into a bakery to get some lunch. We were the first customers in there, but then a man came in after us, and we let him go before us. Uh, we moved over to the right of him, not behind him, and so all these other people then came in and lined up behind him. <laughs> kind of cut them out of the line, right? Uh he paid for his lunch, and then he handed the cashier lady a $100 note and told her this is to cover the next person getting food. And he looked over, and he pointed at us. We weren't even properly in line, praise God. So that uh, their act of kindness brought one from him too, right? The, uh, the man then quickly ran out of the store. We looked over and we saw that everyone standing in the line was frozen in shock and couldn't understand why he did that. Uh, the cashier lady said that we were next, and she asked us what we would like to order. Well, I was praising God in front of everyone and giving Jesus all the glory. Every person in there got to witness that God provides for his children. Praise you, Lord, and thank you for always taking care of us and blessing us with so much more than we want or need. So we ran out to try to find the guy to tell him about Jesus, but he was already in his car driving off. But we uh, waved, and he waved back. And all glory to our Heavenly Father in Jesus. Amen. And uh, this is very important, um, this testimony about deliverance from rejection. Many people 
don't have faith because they have rejection. And, uh, and they don't have fellowship because they have rejection. So this is important. This was uh, a wonderful blessing given to uh, Matthew Stewart, eleven nine twenty two. And he said, uh, I would like to start out with a verse, John 8 and 36. If therefore the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Amen. After our seven-day fast, while worshiping the Lord on the eighth day, uh, I felt a great burden lift off of me. I knew when that happened that I had some deliverance, but I didn't know at the time uh, what from. But I knew I would find out later. A few weeks later, I had a birthday, and normally... For many, many years, I have dealt with a lot of rejection regarding my birthday. This time was different. For the couple of weeks leading up to my birthday, I didn't feel any anxiety, uh, rejection, or depression. And this time, I felt peace and love. It felt different to me because I have never felt this way before. It's amazing how much rejection tries to steal from you, tries to hold you back, and tries to keep you from receiving the Father's love. I felt, and am still feeling, the Father's love for me. He wanted to show me how much He loved me, so He orchestrated so many things for my birthday, things that no man could really plan. The first thing he did was uh, took me off of a machine that I was running at work. Uh, I had been running for at least uh, the last couple of weeks because the person who normally runs it was out on medical leave. This machine was hurting my back. So the Lord orchestrated it so that the person that was gone came back on my birthday for a gift to me. <laughs> the second thing he did for me was uh, one of my co-workers, who is uh, not generous nor gives anything to anyone, gave me two shirts for my birthday. And the third thing is um, on one of the shirts was a number seven which is significant to me because when I played baseball in high school, my jersey number was seven. And the fourth thing is on the second shirt was two sevens. And with the other shirt, that makes three sevens, which means completion. And the fifth thing was that my co-workers in times past never regarded my birthday. But on this birthday, they all sang me a happy birthday song. <laughs> and the sixth thing is that my dad texted me happy birthday for the first time. There was a lot more that happened that day that I don't remember, but I know the Lord made it special for me. You don't realize how much rejection you have until you are delivered from it. For me, rejection was a big part of my life. 
It had roots growing in every part of my life and my walk with God. Rejection was not only keeping me from receiving love from the Father, but my wife, my family, and my friends. It was building up a wall between me and everyone else. And for me, rejection was blocking me from really being one with Jesus and from being one in the Spirit. Rejection was destroying my marriage and my relationship with my kids. I didn't fully understand all of this when I had rejection. I knew a little bit of what it was doing in my life. But now, being free from rejection, I understand it more. Now I can receive the Father's love, and now I have a relationship with the Father and my wife and kids. And now I don't constantly see the Father as someone who's constantly trying to condemn me, and now I see Him for the love and the grace that He gives me, even when I don't deserve it. Rejection has a way of twisting things in your mind. It has a way of making everything a hundred times worse than what it really is. And now I'm not afraid to receive correction. And he says that because a lot of people who have rejection have that problem. Uh, not because uh, correction seems like rejection to them. It's a lying spirit that twists that. And, of course, they get very frustrated and angry, you know, when they get corrected many times because of rejection. That's a demon that has to be cast out. Things that would normally make me cower or destroy me emotionally don't bother me anymore. Yep, that's a sign. He's manifestly delivered. I felt so much peace now in my life. Uh, the peace is indescribable. It's like there's no fear of anything and no worry. I know in my spirit and in my whole being that the Father loves me. Well, this made a great and powerful change in Matt's life and, um, and greatly blessed his family. Amen. It was so good to see that. So here's a word regarding rejection. It's from Anonymous 9, 8, and 22. This question arose when we missed an important Zoom meeting and we thought we had been rejected because of the message that was shared regarding a vision that the Lord Jesus is pouring out anointing on everyone. Because we were not there, we thought we missed the blessing. But the Lord said, I am with you. I will never leave you. I know you seek me. Receive my love. Welcome me and enter my love and feel my presence. I am in you. I am preparing you. And all I can, I give you. Rest, relax, and let go. I have you. I assure you and your life, purpose, and efforts. I see and know and am glad. I accept and am happy to be with you. Keep on. Do not look back. Do not listen to lies. My son is pleased, and you are accepted 
uh, in me. I will pour out anointing and not withhold my blessings. Receive it. Manifest and proclaim the Lord. All the kingdoms and everywhere will rejoice. The king is here. Lead, be, behold your groom. Shout in heart and show your love in actions. Allow the light to reach out and all darkness will to be zero. Let my reach be uh, from and in you. Triumph. All heaven rejoice. You are blessed in and with me. Keep refusing the enemy. Keep saying no to self. Consider me in everything. I know you want me, and I know you do try. And I am, and you are, and we go as one in all. Keep in me, peace be with you, and love. Um, he says, ache no more, I restore. All is for the one above all. I am sure there is no more. I go before, even with law, or when swore, I have borne. Lay all on the floor. I am at the door. You who are poor, I give you my all. I make you pure. Keep and endure. I want you more. Blessings forevermore. I have a purpose for you. Just be patient. Keep seeking me. I am pleased. You are worth more than you have ever known. Peace be still. The enemy and self are conquered. Stand and declare. Victory. Go and redeem and plunder. Much awaits you. Keep speaking and seeking me. I am with you always. Have no doubt. What a wonderful you I made. I am so delighted in you. More and more I can be with you and excited we will be together forever. See all that is there we enjoy together. You give me all and I can give you more of my power. You give all glory so I can use my power. You return all I accept and delight to give and pour and more into you. My love when you return all. My love when you see and talk. I want to lift you and carry you. You want to serve me and there is nothing we can't do together. Beside, behind, ahead, inside, above, and under to hold. Around and between. I am and you are. We are one. Let's go and do. My blessings, dear. My love is... uh, my love and all, thank you. And yes, I know you already want to thank me and give me all. Don't let go of me. If you wander and wonder what I am, I have gone before and I show you. Hear me. The best is still coming. More and more and forever. Peace, perfection. I in you, 
and we are in one. My son is so happy with you. I am excited to give, and you still give all, and I want to bless you more. Be assured, don't worry, I have done it all. Let go of everything. I see that you try. I bless you and forgive you, and I know all, and I know what you have done. And what you hate is gone. I see only love, and I want you, and I know that you give to me. But rest, I love you more. That love you have for me and I have for you is a fire that cannot be put out and only burns hotter and bigger. My son wants to rejoice to you all, for you are with him forever. Do not worry about what or how or where or who you are. I know you are all for me. And I am delighted. The purpose and use is not considered or worthy. It is how I see you give all to me. This is what I am joyful about. Keep giving, for I give more because I delight to. Don't test yourself or think harsh, but let go. You are free from this. Keep and praise as you are. I made you, and now you are very dear to me, but more so until eternity. Looking ahead as you give to me, I pour into you more. I receive you, and my son is so excited. Well, amen. Amen. Rest in the Lord. Thank the Lord. Praise the Lord. And let him pour his life into you, right? Amen. So, now I want to talk about by works is faith made perfect. Many people do not endure to the end of their faith to see what they believe God wants for them and what they see in the Word God wants for them. They don't endure to the end. And this is all about that, okay? Uh, in James two twenty two. It says, Thou seest that faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect. Well, the Greek word therefore perfect is teleu, and it means reaching the end stage. In other words, uh, working through the entire process or stages to reach the final phase or conclusion. Uh, the root word of that is telos, which means mature. But it doesn't matter how old you are in the Lord, you can still walk as perfect before God. You can be perfect in the way, as the Bible calls it, you know. And that because you're doing what you know to do. Um, your ignorances are covered before the Lord. They are not accounted against you. James 4 and 17 says, To him, therefore, that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. 
So that's something that you can't get out of. If you are not doing what you know to do, then you're not walking with the Lord. You're not walking by faith because faith gives you power, right? And your sins aren't covered. Willful disobedience, of course, brings um, a certain judgment, as Hebrews 10.26 says. You know, I was just a baby Christian when I first started receiving signs and wonders and miracles. I didn't even consider whether I was supposed to be given these gifts. I was just speaking faith and seeing God do things, like moving storms out of the way, uh, healings, deliverances, different things. People think that uh, they have to grow up in their faith. No, you don't. The, the boldest people out there are baby Christians. They step out and they do things that are beyond what most Christians can do who have been with the Lord for many years. In the church that I was uh, first associated with uh, very much, uh, there were baby Christians getting miracles because they were believing God. But I saw a lot of older people uh, not receiving much from the Lord. Uh, they weren't seeking Him by faith, and they weren't receiving by faith. They had settled in, and it was kind of an obligation to them to go to church. And they would go to the altar over and over to get prayed for about the same things. Yet I saw the baby Christians getting miracles all the time. I felt sad for those baby Christians who, who stayed in that church after I left. I thought, in a few years, they're going to be just like the old people there and won't be getting anything from the Lord either. They weren't teaching a lot of faith in that church. Uh, I noticed that I was studying faith and a lot of other people, the young people that were there, were going to other preachers and listening to them teach faith. And that's why they were receiving this. But the church was going around in a circle, you know, uh, justifying their existence. <laughs> um, and even though it was a full gospel-type church, because they spoke in tongues and there was some prophecy and so on and so forth, there wasn't a full gospel there. And uh, I learned the full gospel when I was reading the Bible. That's where I got it from. And, and if we want to grow up in the Lord, we need to please the God of the Bible and not pay any attention to what those old people say because sometimes they aren't really walking with the Lord very well. Um, and especially if they're stuck in some religion that is not really teaching them all the things that they need to know to be overcomers. And they're, it's just a rut, okay? Um, I'd never heard of praying for cars and praying for things to work and so on. I didn't have anybody around me doing such things. The church I went to had never thought about it. And I was uh, doing it because I saw it in the Bible. And I was reading the Bible day and night. So I just stepped out and did it. And it was the grace of God in me.
to teach me these things. It was a, I would say, a dead Pentecostal church uh, that I went to because after we left the Baptist church, we went to a Pentecostal church because they believed in the gifts of the Spirit and so on. Uh, But they weren't doing these things. My friends were saying, you must have a gift of faith or you must have some gifts of uh, miracles. I never even thought about what it was. I, I wasn't thinking about what I had or what I didn't have. Jesus said in Matthew 21 and 21, If you have faith and doubt not, you shall not only do what is done to the fig tree, but even if you shall say unto this mountain, Be thou taken up and cast into the sea, it shall be done. And I haven't gotten to walk on water yet, but I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> so uh, Now, of course, if you're in a situation where you're possibly tired of the trial or you're just plain exhausted, uh, it can become a real temptation to accept a way out other than the one that the Lord wants you to take. And you can give up and accept something less than what God wants you to have. A lot of people do. The first thing comes along, they uh, grab a hold to it, you know. People do that all the time. Sometimes when uh, you're believing God for something, the devil will send second best around really quickly. So if you're believing God for something, and uh, just don't necessarily accept the first thing that comes along. Uh, second best is the enemy of best, and uh, because many people grab a hold to it, and they wish they had waited. So it might be uh, the devil sending you second best just because he doesn't want you to see a major miracle or a healing, and especially don't accept any way out that is a work of the flesh, because there is a curse in it somewhere. Jeremiah 17 and 5, Thus saith the Lord, Cursed is the man that trusteth in man, and maketh the flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. You see every kind of an effort to save yourself by your own works, rather than through faith, is just going to end up being a curse. That's what happened when Abraham listened to Sarah and had Ishmael uh, by her handmaid, Hagar, in Genesis 16. And I remember when uh, we first discovered faith about trusting in God instead of acting in the works of the flesh. Uh, My oldest girl was, um, this wasn't the first thing that happened, by the way, but my oldest girl was a baby then. And one day, when she was just learning to walk, she stumbled and fell on her face into the carpet. And after she got up, we saw that she had a tooth that was broken off, and it was shattered all the way up into the gum. And uh, you know how painful that can be, because the nerves are there, you know. Well... We prayed the prayer of faith over her, but 
it was terrible to look at her and to see that broken tooth. And even though she still had a grin on her face, the whole trial was for us. And we realized really quickly because we were the ones who had to look at this thing. And we prayed that the Lord would uh, put a brand new tooth back in there. And over the next several weeks, we saw a piece of a tooth come out through her gums. It was forced out right through the gums. And she still had a smile on her face. I mean, you know, when you break a tooth like that, break into the nerve, uh, obviously, God had partially heard in the very beginning our our faith and taken all pain away from her. So it was basically a trial for us just to look at her, you know. So these pieces kept coming out, and pretty soon a beautiful tooth just came right in there. It wasn't really time for her to receive a new tooth, <laughs> But it came in there and forced all those pieces and uh, the broken tooth out. So the whole time she was just easygoing, really enjoying life. And we realized that it was only a trial of our faith to have, have to look at this thing. So we patiently endured and God brought the end of it all. People like to think that Jesus always got immediate answers, but that's not what the Scriptures say. Uh, Jesus didn't always get immediate answers. There is a work that we have to do in the meantime in order to bring to pass what God has given us. And James said that we are to, in James 1 and 2, Count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into manifold temptations, knowing that the proving of your faith worketh patience. So these uh, trials that you go through to prove your faith while you're enduring to see what God promised are very important. Because it goes on to say in verse 4, And let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, lacking in nothing. Did you see that? What a promise. Patience. Let it have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, lacking in nothing. <clears throat> so, you see that we are expected to go through trials of our faith. A trial of your faith, of course, is when you don't see what is promised but you're still believing, right, that you have received. And uh, we have many examples of that. Hebrews 11 is uh, the trial and faith chapter of people who went through great trials of their faith, yet they endured to see the answers. A lot of people give up in the middle. They don't endure to see the answers. And then they give up on it all because they think it doesn't work. No, we don't work. <laughs> we are the problem. Uh, we're not going to see immediate answers all of the time. That's what a trial of your faith is. And I've been doing this for over 50 years, and I've seen some miracles, and I've seen other things about which I just had to be 
dogmatically determined not to depart from the Word of God, but to confess only the Word of God. And one reason some people do not receive anything from the Lord is because they think that faith can be just in your mind. But there has to be a work that goes along with the faith. I'm not talking about works, your works, or works of the flesh, right? Um, uh, because we know that we've, we're saved by grace. That's the unmerited favor of God. We're saved by grace. So in Ephesians chapter 2, in verse 8, we read, and this one is from the King James Version. I don't often quote from it, but uh, it says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. One other, I think, better translation, ASV, By grace have you been saved through faith. That part is different. And that is really true and is right. So we know that it's not man's works here. It's not the ordinary works that people do to save themselves or to heal themselves or to deliver themselves. James 2 and 14 says, What does it profit, my brethren, if a man say he has faith but have not works? Can that faith save him? Well, no, it can't. And the fact is, according to the rest of this chapter, the answer is no. That faith will not save him alone. If you have accepted a healing, a deliverance, a provision, or a blessing from God, such as uh, that your children have been saved, that your spouse is saved, or whether you're believing God for something, if you do not act on that faith, you won't receive anything from God. Well, I will explain as I go on. What would be the normal action of a person who believed that promise? That's what you have to ask yourself. What would I do and what would I say if I really believed what this promise says? If you really believe the promise, you're going to be giving a good report in agreement with the Word of God, right? For instance, Jesus said, All things whatsoever you pray and ask for, believe you received them. That's past tense. And you shall have them. Believing you received causes you to act quite differently than the worldly people who only walk by sight. And it is the secret of power from God. So it is coming to be, it's going to be coming out of your mouth. When you believe you've received, it's going to be coming out of your mouth. So ask yourself that question. Because God will correct you. What would I say uh, to this person, if I believe that I've received what God says I've received. Jesus did say in Matthew 21 and 22, and all things whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. There's no question there. 
um, what he is saying. If you ask it, believe you shall receive. James 2 and 15 says, If a brother or sister, he's giving a natural example here, if a brother or sister be naked or in lack of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Go in peace and be ye warmed and filled, and yet you give them not the things needful to the body, what doth it profit? Of course, in that case, the work of the Lord will be to meet their needs. You don't have to worry about your future. You believe that the Lord will supply your needs. You can give so that it will be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Amen? And First John 3 and 17 says, But whoso hath the world's goods, and beholdeth his brother in need, and shutteth up his compassion from him, how doth the love of God abide in him? So, that's not your works there, that's God's works. When you see your brother in need, and you meet his needs, James 2 and 17 says, Even so, faith, if it have not works, is dead in itself. So faith has works. It's not the works of the flesh in order to earn something. It is a work because you have faith in your heart. It's not legalism because you have faith in your heart. And if you think that you have faith, but you're not acting it out with your mouth, your feet, and your actions, you've been deceived. If you think that you have faith, but you're not showing it by your rest and by your peace and by your patience, you have been deceived. If you're not walking in that faith, and if there's no manifestation of that faith through your body, your mind, and out of your mouth, then that's not faith. You've been deceived. So, we're all heading towards manifestations. That means it, it comes out of the spirit realm and into the physical realm. We're all walking things out towards manifestations. During that time, we have to hold on to our faith and not be double-minded. Verse 18 goes on to say, Yea, a man will say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith apart from thy works, and I by my works will show thee my faith. Okay, so if a person believes, they can act upon what they say. That's the works that go along with the faith, right? So this is the only way that we can prove we have faith. It's what you say. It's how you walk. It's the peace in which you live that proves that you believe the promise. Hebrews uh, chapter 4 and verse 3 says, For we who have believed do enter into that rest. Because when you believe you've received, you're not struggling and striving and looking for an answer. If you really believe the promise, then you can rest. You can have peace that God has everything in His hand and that everything is under control 
and that He is going to work it out. We show our faith by our works. I'm not talking about works of the flesh because we are not saved by the works of the flesh. We're not saved by any of our self-efforts to save ourselves. We're saved by the works of God through us and the works that naturally flow out of faith. Because when a person believes a promise of God, they begin to act it out with all of their being. If they don't believe it, they act and walk contrary to it. And the Bible says in Proverbs 18 and 21, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. And another one, Romans 10 and 10. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Soteria, salvation. Um, it represents many things. It can it is used in the area of healing and in deliverance and in provision. All these things, things that you pray for and wait for. And he's telling you here, confession is made unto salvation. You are confessing in agreement with what you have prayed. You are believing you have received. So notice that the salvation doesn't come until um, or after the work that flows from that faith. If your actions disagree with that which you say you believe, it's not faith. First, you should believe with your heart. Now, don't miss this part. You have to do it this way. Otherwise, it's just legalism. People putting their their powerful faith on you. Don't let anybody do that. You act on your faith alone, right? Uh, so, first you should believe with your heart. And then your mouth must confess, which is the Greek word homologeo. And it means to speak the same as, or to voice the same conclusion, to agree with what the promise says. It is yours, right? If your works don't agree with your faith, forget it. Uh, you're just a double-minded person, or you're under legalism, right? James 1 and 6 says, But let him ask in faith nothing doubting. This is important, because as soon as you ask in faith, the devil's going to come with his fiery darts to try to ruin your faith. And when you put up the shield of faith and say, no, I don't accept that, you're thwarting his effort to cause you to miss what God has for you. For he that doubteth is like the surge of the sea, driven by the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord, a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Well, it happens all the time that people get double-minded and they start out believing and they don't end up believing. They don't endure the trial of their faith. So, people go to receive prayer for some illness 
But then they may continue to agree with the doctor that they're still sick. If they do that, then they're just denying the Lord. Matthew 10 and 33. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father who is in heaven. If we deny him before men, he will deny us before the Father. So, there are people that um, start out huge. And um, instead of believing for the little things and testing their faith and trying their faith and learning how to walk that way, they can start out with something huge. And a lot of times they just don't make it. I'm not saying baby Christians can't have mighty miracles. They do. They do because sometimes they have the best faith. Okay. It still has to be faith. If we deny him before men, he will deny us before the Father. And the opposite of that is also true in Matthew 10 and 32. Everyone, therefore, who shall confess me before men, him will I also confess before my Father who is in heaven. So confess in this verse is that same Greek word, homo legeo, to speak the same as. That's what it means, to speak the same as. You're agreeing with that promise that it is yours. And if you really believe it, say it. Why are you going to ask for a a second opinion? Isn't God's opinion good enough? Well, of course. So if you really believe God's opinion, why are you going to go ask a doctor or someone else? You know, a lawyer, a banker, or whatever. Um, uh, Much of this is because you're not believing God can really do this. And if you're double-minded, then don't do it. Okay? Uh, If you're double-minded and you want to continue to walk by faith, just confess your sin. Uh, and believe you have received, and go on believing God. So, isn't God's opinion always right? Isn't it good? Why are you going to get the opinion of a person who walks by sight and is just going to tell you what's wrong? See, you, you don't look at what's wrong when you're believing for a miracle. It's kind of like when they were in the wilderness, you know, the um, uh, serpents were biting the people and and killing them because of their unbelief. And so uh, Moses raised up the serpent on the pole. And when people looked at that, they looked away from their sickness and they looked at that serpent on the pole, which represented Jesus uh, dying on the cross, taking away our sin and providing for us. So when you uh, look away from the problem and you look at the promise of the Savior, that's where it comes from. Double-mindedness is looking on the failure. They don't believe in the Word of God. And so you're you're going to do what? You're going to confess God before them. Or are you going to confess them before them? People who uh, walk by sight do not walk by faith. If you get their opinion, they're going to destroy your faith. Faith believes you have received. It calls the things that be not as though they were. 
That's what faith does. Well, here's the whole point. If you don't confess me before men, if you don't speak the same as me before men, I will deny you before the Father. Uh, in another place it says in Luke 12 and 9, But he that denieth me in the presence of men shall be denied in the presence of the angels of God. Of course, the angels do the work of God. They bring things to pass. They hearken unto his voice, and they fulfill his word. That's what they do. But they have to have faith. So that doesn't sound as if you're going to get what you're asking for, right? You have the authority to deny yourself the benefits of God by not confessing Him before men. After you've received a healing, if someone points out to you that you're sick and you agree with Him, do you really think that you're going to manifest that healing? Not likely. As the Bible says in James 1 and 7, For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord, a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So it takes diligence to root out the, the double-mindedness. Um, there's a difference between believers and Christians quite often. Believers are those that believe the Word. They practice studying and believing and confessing the Word. Other people, I just want to be called Christians, even though they don't live up to the name, right? So the word of the Lord is true. If you believe it, that you are were healed at the cross, why are you going to go and ask somebody else anyway? The Bible doesn't say to do that. James 5 and 14 says, If, if any is among you, is sick, let him call for the elders of the church, let them uh, Pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save him that is sick. And the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, it shall be forgiven him. Those are pretty positive statements. Are you going to get uh, anointed by the elders and just hope that you get healed? <laughs> Well, sometimes that works for baby Christians, but the more you grow, the less it works. I'm talking about you grow in the Lord. God expects things. He expects us to walk and talk as He did. So, are you going to get anointed by the elders, but then go and ask somebody else if you got healed? Forget it. You are... Uh, you're to go there believing that you're going to receive you your healing. And when you get prayed for, if you're double-minded, don't waste your time or anybody else's time. Or say it doesn't work. It was you that didn't work, right? James 2 and 19 says, Thou believest that God is one, thou doest well. The demons also believe and shudder. So what makes you different from the devil if you believe God is one? The devil believes that too. 
but he's not going to repent and act in faith, is he? No. And verse 20 goes on to say, But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith apart from works is barren? The word barren here is the Greek word argos. And it means idle, unprofitable, useless, barren, and even injurious, some say. So, the King James translated as dead. I've had people tell me, Well, David, I want to go prove to the doctor that I'm saved. So, I go, so I go show myself to him. Now, well, that's fine. But when he tells you what he sees by sight, remember that you're still saved. Because you're not saved by manifestation, you're saved by faith. You know, you don't, you know, because it doesn't manifest right away, don't give up. You believing you received it by faith. And, um, and you have to do that first. Accept only what the Bible says about you if you want success. Don't accept anything else. Confess your sins to God to make sure that there's nothing between you and Him. And don't deny the Lord, because if you get in front of men and deny the Lord, if you're ashamed of His words and Him, He'll be ashamed of you before His Father. And when men try to get you to deny the Word, even if they don't understand what that's that that's what they're they're doing don't deny the word of the god of god if you deny him before men he'll have to deny you say the word is true say the word is true even if you fail to live up to it say it is true matthew 12 and 33 either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree corrupt and its fruit corrupt. For the tree is known by its fruit. Verse 34, You offspring of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. The good man, out of his good treasure, bringeth forth good things. And the evil man, out of his evil treasure, bringeth forth evil things. And I say unto you that every idle, and that's the Greek word argon, from the same root as argos we studied, and here we can see from the text that it means unfruitful. Okay. And, uh, and I say unto you that every idle, Word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. So, he's talking about the need to bear the good fruit of the words that are in agreement with Scripture. Do you know that there are many, many days of judgment, according to the Bible? Here's one, John 3 and 18, it says, 
He that believeth on him is not judged. He that believeth not hath been judged already, because he hath not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. So, you're walking through judgment right now if you don't believe what Jesus said. Jesus is the Word. He's all of the Word. He's not just the red letters, right? So, you're denying the Word if you speak an idle word or an unfruitful word, one that does not bring forth what you thought it would. And you're denying the Lord before men. Well, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. What does that mean? It means that you're still walking through judgment. He that believeth not on the Son hath been judged already. If you're not walking by faith and confessing the Word, then you're living under judgment. It's sad, but many Christians believe that's the normal Christian life, is to live under judgment. They don't read the Bible to find out the great wondrous promises that the Lord has given to us. Judgment uh, is the Deuteronomy 28 curse all around you, and there's only one way out of that. I mean, it just pronounces everything bad that happens to people as a curse, right? And we're told, don't add to or take away from His Word. Revelation 22 and 18 says, I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto them, God shall add unto him the plagues which are written in this book. Okay, so... If you're one who twists and tweaks the Word of God in order to make it fit your religion, you may miss out on something. You may be met with a plague. There is plagues coming. Get ready. Get your faith right. Start out with the little things. Work your way up. If you get forced into a big thing, yep, use your faith too. So, God shall add unto him the plagues which are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the tree of life and out of the holy city, which is the bride. So that means he can't be in the bride, which are written in this book. So, he warns us in Romans 3 and 4. Let God be found true, but every man a liar, including that man you walk around in, right? As it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy words. Your words are important to God. He is teaching you to walk as a son of God. He's teaching you to walk the way Jesus did, who always spoke something uh, before it came to pass. Aha! that thou mightest be justified in thy words and mightest prevail when thou comest into judgment. Now, we want to prevail when we come into judgment, so you have to let God be true. And every man a liar, every one. 
So, do you want to be justified? You need to be justified in order to receive the the benefits of the kingdom. So, do you want to do you want God to say that you're righteous? That's what justified means uh, in your words when you come into judgment, so that you can be delivered. That's what he's saying right here. Matthew twelve and thirty six. And I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified. That means accounted righteous. And by thy words thou shalt be condemned. So you see, we don't come into God's salvation without confessing it before men and without walking it out. Imagine just as uh, an exercise, what would I act like if I really believed this promise? Think about it. Search out those promises in the Word concerning the answer to the predicament that you're in or whatever salvation form you need. And also there are catch-all promises such as Mark 11 and 24, which says, Therefore I say unto you, all things whatsoever. What does that cover? All things whatsoever. You pray and ask for Believe that you received them, and you shall have them. But there are others that are probably specific to your situation, because God covers us with promises. So, for instance, what would you say if you actually believed that by the stripes of Jesus you were healed? If you actually believed that, what would you say? What would you say if you actually believed that He bore your sins away? Would you confess the promise? Or would you let a theologian talk you out of it? Because <laughs> they are good at that. First Peter 2 and 24 says, Who his own self bear our sins in his body upon the tree, that we having died unto sins, might live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. What would you say if you actually believed that he became cursed for you and took away your curse and healed you all at the cross? Galatians 3 and 13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. In other words, everything that the law in Deuteronomy 28 speaks of judgment on you because of your disobedience in one form or another, which are all mentioned there, how do you get delivered of that? Well, you believe this. It says Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. He became our curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Well, look, Jesus bore the whole curse in which is listed sin, sickness, 
lack of every kind, etc., etc. What would you act like? How would you confess this before men? How could you complete your faith? James 2 and 22, Thou seest that faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect. Hmm. So, the Greek word therefore perfect is teleu, and it can be translated complete. So, faith without works is incomplete. You're going to be justified by what you say in front of people. But it can be an idle word, a useless word, one that doesn't bring about the desired effect. An unfruitful word, which will not give you the manifestation of what you seek. If you don't think that this is important to God, look at how upset Jesus became with the disciples when they didn't carry through with their faith. Like Matthew eight, ten through twelve, or seventeen and seventeen, or Mark four, thirty nine through forty, or Luke nine and forty one. If God counts you righteous because you believe him, for a promise or for a deliverance, he counts you righteous because you believe his promise in the midst of your wilderness trial. And then what does he say when you don't believe him? What does he say when you stop believing him and you turn back to the world? What does he say when you confess the bad report? like the spies who went into the promised land. In Numbers 13, I'll start in verse 28. Howbeit the people that dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. So Amalek uh, dwelleth in the land of the south, and the Hittite and the Jebusite and the Amorite dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanite dwelleth by the sea, and along by the side of the, of the Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people, because they were getting upset before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. See, he believed the promise. But the men went up with him, said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had spied out unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it were men of great stature. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come of the Nephilim, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. 
So God says he's going to disinherit them and smite them with a curse. Numbers 14, 11. And the Lord said unto Moses, How long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me? For all the signs which I have wrought among them. Yep, it's a sad thing. And verse 12 says, I will smite them with the pestilence and disinherit them. Do you think that that's coming? I do. I believe the pestilence is coming. And just like COVID uh, came, and it was a pestilence, So he says, I will smite them with a pestilence and disinherit it, because he was very sorry that they would not believe him. And will make of thee a nation greater and mightier than they. He promised them the land, but now he is disinheriting them for unbelief. How can he do that after he promised them? Well, it's because it is a covenant And our part is to believe, and then his part is to fulfill the promise. So, if you don't keep your part of the covenant, you broke it. So, God was so angry with them because they confessed the bad report. That was not what he had told them. Joshua and Caleb came back confessing the good report. But the ten others came back confessing the bad report that they couldn't take that land. Well, they had negative faith. Those ten thought that they could take the promises which the land represents Numbers 14 and 1. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried. And the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said unto them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt. Or would that we had died in this wilderness. And wherefore doth the Lord bring us into this land to fall by the sword, our wives and our little ones will be a prey. Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? Hmm. So what negative faith they spoke, right? And so since they were speaking negative faith, he said, And so God said in Numbers 14 and 28, As you have spoken in my ears, so will I do to you. Oh, they didn't want to hear that. Your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness, and all that were numbered of you, according to your 
poem from 20 years old and upward that have murmured against me. That's what he calls murmuring. Surely you shall not come into the land concerning which I swear I would make you to dwell therein. How is that one saved, always saved? Uh, no. He, he said he promised them this land, yet he said he would disinherit them because of unbelief. He swore to make them dwell therein. Except Caleb, uh, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun, who always spoke for the Lord. But your little ones that you said would be a prey, them will I bring in, and they shall know the land which you have rejected. Notice, they rejected the land because of unbelief. Well, the little ones who were innocent were able to enter into the land. But notice, they rejected the land because of unbelief. But as for you, your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness. He really held them to their own words. They brought themselves under a curse by what they said. And it's the same way with us. Our words can be idle or unfruitful too. We need to ask God that He would, according to Psalm 141 and 3, set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. Amen. It's better to be quiet than to utter error before the Lord. James 2 and 21 says, was not Abraham our father justified by works? Okay, there it is. So there are so many people who speak against works, but it's because they're lumping all works into one bucket. You know, the Bible says, By grace have you been saved through faith, and that is not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of your works, lest any man should boast. For in Christ Jesus were we created for good works. It is your works. It's just saying works there, but it is your works. So we know that we are not justified by any works of man. Uh, you can't save yourself. You can't be good enough. You have to be justified by Christ's work at the cross. And if he says he's done it, he's done it. So if you believe that you were saved from sin, how would you act? How would you talk? Would you moan and groan about your sin? Or would you say, the Lord delivered me from this and I'm believing him? Would you still be anxious and worried about your sins? Would you still be confessing that you're a sinner? Would you be confessing that you have a problem or would you put it in the Lord's hands by faith and watch Him do a miracle? Many people never receive a miracle because their faith is faith without works. 
Matthew 15 and 8 says, This people honoreth me with their lips. In other words, they confess him with their mouth. But their heart is far from me. So anything uh, for which you enter into faith with God cannot be just thoughts in your mind. It has to be manifested in your heart. Uh, You'll walk differently when you believe you've received something. Your mouth speaks differently, and your actions are different. You can rejoice and give praise to God when God says He's done something for you. James 2 and 21, Was not Abraham our father justified by works, and that he offered up Isaac his son upon the altar? So Abraham had so much faith that he knew if he killed his son, God would bring him back. Because God had made him a promise that his seed would be like the stars in heaven. Genesis 15 and 5. Or the sand of the seashore, Genesis 32 and 12, or Hosea 1 and 10. God made a promise. He can't break it. So when he tells you to go do something like that, just know he's going to do something miraculous to make sure he fulfills the promise. His faith was there, but he was acting uh, on his faith. Now, seest that faith wrought with his works. In other words, you can see by what his actions were that he had faith. And by works was faith made perfect. Again, that word perfect means complete. If you're not going to act on your faith, forget it. Because it's not real faith. And it will not be completed or made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned unto him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. See, God considers you his friend if you believe his promises. You see that by works a man is justified, and not by only faith. Works was a part of it. Works complete your faith. If you believe that God's given you the land, the giants are not going to discourage you. Right? You're going to go right on through. And in like manner, was not also Rahab the harlot justified by works in that she received the messengers and sent them out another way? Whereas the body apart from the spirit is dead, even so faith apart from works is dead. So there are some works that need to go with faith. Not works of the flesh, not works of self-justification, not works of saving yourself. He's saying that if your works are not in agreement with your faith, it's just like a body that's dead because it doesn't have a spirit to give it life. And you may be thinking, well, what about Jesus? Did Jesus ever have to just walk by faith? Well, let me point out to you that Jesus was always living in faith, because 
He boldly spoke by faith before he saw anything. He spoke it. He was not afraid to speak it. He spoke it before it came to pass. He wasn't speaking what he'd already seen. He was speaking what he hadn't seen. And it came to pass. And he got so used to doing it, it became his nature. Christians expect that uh, they'll just wait until they see before they believe. But remember what Jesus told Martha and Mary. In John 11 and 25, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth on me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth on me shall never die. And also John 11 and 40. Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee that if thou believest, thou shouldest see the glory of God? God expects us to believe first, and then we'll see. Notice he said, if you believe, you'll see the glory of God. And that's his demand. In Hebrews 11, 1, Now faith is the substance of the things hoped for, the, while the evidence of things not seen. In other words, you don't see it. You're believing it's yours before you see it. It's not faith if you can see the manifestation. Once you see the manifestation, you don't need faith. So, Romans 8 and 24. For in hope were we saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopeth for that which he seeth? If you already see it, what are you hoping for? You got it, right? Your hope is a firm expectation in, the, in uh, Romans. You're expecting if you see the manifestation, obviously you don't need faith anymore. Faith is what you have to exercise in order to see it. Said I not unto thee, that if thou believest, thou shouldest see the glory of God? We have to believe before we see. And that's why he said in Mark 11 and 24, All things, all things, Whatsoever you pray and ask for, believe that you received them. It's received even in the received text. There's a footnote there that says received in the Greek, right? Even there. And in other places, it's quoted this way. Believe that you received them or have received them, and you shall have them. Believe it's yours. To believe that you have received is contrary to normal human reasoning. And therefore, everybody wants to rail at you, you know. But then, we're not normal humans. We're sons of God, and God is teaching us to be sons of God. So, we have to believe we have received before we see it. That's what Jesus did. And if you don't believe you have received, uh, in most instances, you're never going to see it. In most instances, not all, because God does take care of babies. Babies, you know, don't do good at feeding themselves. Somebody has to do it. But after you pass that stage, you're expected to be able to do that, right? And again, I point out that uh, to you that Jesus spoke before he saw. He always walked by faith. 
If you boldly speak your faith out of your mouth, the Bible says that God is not going to let you be put to shame. Psalm 119 and 46, Romans 10 and 11, 1 Peter 2 and 6, and on and on. God's people are afraid to boldly speak what others can't see because they might get harassed, right? Or it might not happen. That's the, Then you know you don't have faith, right? Uh, but we we can't be afraid to confess the Lord before men. He said that if you're ashamed of him and his words, then he's going to be ashamed of you before his Father. Mark 8 and 38 says, For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words, uh, in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man also shall be ashamed of him when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. We can't be ashamed of speaking his words. Even before men who will not approve of us and will think that we're crazy. They will be dumbfounded when you get the miracle. And all their theology will go out the window. And God wants to give them these testimonies because he's going to convert people by these testimonies. People may say, well, I can't really hope to trust in God. I don't have any examples of this. But yes, you do. Let's take a look at a few instances where the deliverance wasn't necessarily manifested immediately, even in Jesus' ministry. Some people say, it always happened. No, it didn't. Matthew 8 and 5. And when he was entered into Capernaum, There came unto him a centurion, beseeching him, and saying, Lord, my servant lieth in the house sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And he saith unto him, I will come and heal him. And the centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only say the word, and my servant shall be healed. That's a good confession. For I also am a man under authority, having under myself soldiers, and I say unto this one, Go, and he goeth, and to another and come, and he cometh. And to my servant, uh, do this, and he doeth it. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled, and he said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great a faith, no, not in Israel. And Jesus saith unto the centurion, Go thy way, as thou hast believed. He believed it, and he spoke it. So be it done unto thee. And the servant was healed in that hour. Wow. The the centurion totally confessed the Lord. He had outdone everyone in Israel, (laughs) according to what Jesus said. And the centurion recognized that Jesus had authority in the kingdom of God and that he didn't even need to come to his house. All Jesus had to do was say the word and his servant would be healed. So notice it was the centurion's faith that healed his servant. As thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. Jesus always has faith and he always uh, he's always with us. But he said that. He said, As thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. He believed it, and he spoke it. 
Hebrews 13 and 5 says, I will in no wise fail thee, neither will I in any wise forsake thee. So who is waiting on whom here? The whole point is that as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. We need to endure a trial of our faith by boldly speaking our confession. Just as this centurion did. He goes on, and the servant was healed in that hour. In that hour? Well, notice also that this wasn't an instantaneous healing. It was within that hour. Now, we know that the Bible uses the word hour in more than one way. Matthew 20 and 12, Mark 13, 32, John 7 and 30. But at the very least, here it is a twelfth part of a day or night. Many times they used uh, phrases like the sixth hour, for example, John 4 and 6, or the ninth hour, for example, Matthew 27, 45. And those are definitely talking about an hour of time. But there are other places where hour is not referring to an actual hour of time and because it's a spiritual type, right? Sometimes it can be more than an hour because it's speaking of an hour spiritually. For instance, in the book of Revelation, there's an hour that's three and a half years long. Revelation 12 and 6, 13 and 5, 17 and 12. And over in John, it says in John 13 and 1, Now, before the, fe- the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world. He didn't depart right there, but the hour had come. It took a little longer than that for Jesus to leave the world. So this is another example of where an hour is used to mean more than an hour of time. It was longer than an hour from that point before Jesus was crucified and died. John 13 and 1 says, Now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto his Father, having loved his own that were in the world, he loved them unto the end. Notice there's an unto the end to that hour. (laughs) So, this was either a period of time or it was a real hour, but it didn't happen immediately. Would you forgive Jesus if he didn't do everything perfectly from his from his beginning? Because the Bible says in Luke uh, 2 and 52, and Jesus advanced. The Greek word is prokopto, and it means to make progress or increase. He advanced in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. So, in other words, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. And the Bible also says in Hebrews 2 and 10, For it became him for whom are all things and through whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory to make the author of their salvation perfect. So, this is the Greek word teleo working through the entire process to reach the final phase. You hear that? That's what this means. Or complete. So, uh, 
make the author of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Hebrews 5 and 8. Though he was a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became unto all them that obey him the author of eternal salvation. In other words, he was walking this walk for us. And if we abide in him, we'll end up in the same place. The Bible doesn't say Jesus sinned, but it appears that he could have learned things and grown in wisdom and maturity because he had taken on real flesh. John 1 and 14, Romans 8 and 3. That's right. And he was growing up into that flesh to become the spotless, blemishless Lamb of God. So, let's look at another instance where manifestation was not instantaneous. Mark 8 and 23. And he took hold of the blind man by the hand and brought him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands upon him, he asked him, Seest thou aught? Well, this is one time where Jesus asked somebody if they had received their manifestation. And let me point out to you that this wasn't an immediate healing. Jesus asked him if he could see anything. But I don't recommend that anybody answer, no, I I don't see. (laughs) Because... The Bible says that uh, when we pray, we are to believe that we have received, right? So Mark 8 and 24 says, And he looked up and said, I see men, for I behold them as trees walking. He didn't see them very clearly. They were just kind of a blur. Then again, he laid his hands upon his eyes, and he looked steadfastly and was restored. And he saw all things clearly. There's an example, a clear example. Okay, And you too can grow in wisdom and in stature, and you can come to the place where you do what Jesus does. If anyone says that they abide in him, let them walk as he walked, the Bible says. We're here to walk as he walked. We're studying the Master to be like him. And Jesus is teaching us something here. If you're asking somebody to tell you what they have felt, seen, or heard in this world. They're going to confess something that's contrary to the Word. The Word says very clearly, Mark 11 and 24, All things whatsoever that don't leave anything out. This is God's preferred way of you praying and believing. All things Whatsoever you pray and ask for, believe that you received them. The promise is past tense in the original. And you shall have them. He's very honest about that. You will have it. So when you believe that you have received, you are thanking God for the thing that you don't see. You have received it. You are confessing it. It is yours. And when you come to the Lord and you ask Him to save you, and you claim your salvation, do you realize 
that what you're proclaiming is total perfection? It's total deliverance from the curse and from sin. It's total healing for your body because salvation concerns the whole man and all of its circumstances. You're confessing deliverance from the curse. And when you claim that you're saved, you're claiming something by faith that encompasses all of the blessings and promises of God. Some people don't realize that they're saying something by faith there. They think that they have manifested their salvation just because they shook a preacher's hand or they stepped across this line, you know. No, the truth is, when you claim that you are saved, you're claiming everything that God promised. You're claiming that it's already done because it's always past tense, the promises are. Everything is included in salvation. Everything. It's all past tense because it's all done. And so that's what you claim. And and it's all things whatsoever. So, so he wants you to do this all of the time until you're doing just what he did. You speak it and it happens. You don't say what you see, feel, or hear in the world like those ten spies did in Numbers 13. God called it an evil report. Numbers 14 and 36. They were being honest about what they'd seen with their eyes. But that was all the bad report because it wasn't what God promised. They weren't claiming what God promised and therefore they never received it. Numbers 14 and 36. And the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land who returned and made all the congregation to murmur against him by bringing up an evil report against the land. Even those men that did bring up an evil report of the land died by the plague before the Lord. We got plagues coming. So, this is an example where there wasn't an immediate healing. And and notice that what the man initially spoke was contrary to the promise. Was Jesus trying to teach us something here? I believe so. I believe we're about to come to a day when there are going to be many immediate manifestations. But what are you going to do if you don't get an immediate manifestation? Does it mean that God hasn't answered? That's what the devil tells you. That's what unbelievers around you will tell you. And that's what very religious people will tell you. They'll they'll tell you that God hasn't answered. Look at the story of Naaman. 2 Kings 5 and 1. Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Assyria, was a great man with his master, and honorable, because by him the Lord had given victory unto Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out in bands and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maiden, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would that my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria. Then he would recover him of his leprosy. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariots and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. 
And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth, and he went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and recover the leper. Are not Arbana and Parfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? No. So he turned and went away in a rage. And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee to do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather then, when he saith unto thee, Wash and be clean? Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. So if God, uh, through Elisha, had asked Naaman to do some great thing, he would have gone and done it because he believed in salvation by works. But God only asked him to dip seven times in the Jordan. Are you going to do what he tells you to do? Um, the point there is that he just wants us to obey the word of God. And of course, Naaman didn't receive his healing manifestly until he came to the seventh time. You know, sometimes the doctors may ask you to do some great thing. As a matter of fact, they may tell you to fast, uh, to, to not eat this or that, or to take these pills, or doctors want you to do, to save yourself, right? Uh, by your works. They don't have any problem with you doing some works to save yourself. But you have to act on the Word of God. That was the problem with Naaman until he finally realized that he was supposed to act upon the Word of God. It didn't matter that over in Syria they had much cleaner water. You see, rest is an action because people who don't believe are running around trying to save themselves and they don't have any rest. Rest is an action in our kingdom. It is ceasing from your works to enter into His rest. That is an action. And everyone who believes enters into rest. And while they're resting, they confess that what the Word of God says is true. They confess that they are healed, delivered, provided for, and that their family is saved, and all these things. And while they're resting, they do these these works. You have to be resting in God to do the works of God. You have to be ceasing from your own works in order to do His works. Listen, Hebrews 4 and 1. Let us fear, therefore, lest happily a promise being left of entering into His rest. Because when you believe the promise, you just rest. You cease from your works. Because all the promises are past tense. By his stripes you were healed. So any one of you should seem to have come short of it. In other words, don't come short of his rest because you're ignoring the word. 
For indeed we have had good tidings preached unto us, even as also they. But the word of hearing did not profit them, because it was not united by faith with them that heard. For we who have believed do enter in to that rest, even as he has said, As I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has said somewhere of the seventh day on this wise, and God rested on the seventh day from all of his works. And in this place again they shall not enter into my rest, seeing therefore it remaineth that some should enter in thereunto. And they to whom the good tidings were preached before failed to enter in because of disobedience. In other words, they didn't act on their faith. He again defineth a certain day today, saying in David, So long a time afterwards, even as hath been said before, Today, if you shall hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Act on what you hear. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken afterwards of another day. There remaineth therefore a Sabbath rest, That's not just one day that you rest and then you get your answer. The word Sabbath there is sabbatismos. Sabbatismos. And it means a continual rest for the people of God. In other words, the Sabbath is not a day in the New Testament. It's a continual rest, a ceasing from your own works to see his works. For he that has entered into his rest hath himself also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore give diligence to enter into that rest that no man fall after the same example of disobedience. The rest is ceasing from your own works. You can't do God's works unless you're ceasing from your works. He waits till you quit to give you that miracle. And uh, and ceasing from your works, which is always seeking to save yourself. The way we're taught when we're raised by our parents, it just comes natural to us. But you see miracles, and go to people who get miracles if you want to ask how they get them. Uh, you see miracles when you cease from your works and start believing He has done it. He wants it to be by grace and not by your works, right? So the rest doesn't mean that you're not working. It means that you're not doing your works. If you're resting in God, you're doing His works with confidence, right? People think that I'm believing, but, for example, I'm believing but I'm going to take this pill. Do you believe that you have received? Well, what do you need that for, right? That's probably going to block what you want, right? The promise doesn't say that he needs our help. The promise says he's already done it. And if you believe that God has already done it, then you don't have to earn it or attain to it by somehow by your works. What would you believe if you believed that God had already done it? What would you speak and how would you act if you believed that God had already done it? By whose stripes you were healed. 
So that's what the Bible is saying. Here's an example, a common one, Luke 17 and 12. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him a ten men that were lepers who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go and show yourselves unto the priests. Uh, that was the last step. <laughs> so the, the lepers knew what that meant. Leviticus 13, 1 through 46 and 14, 1 through 32. They knew what that meant. When a person is healed of leprosy, they are to go to the priest and he examines them. When they're healed of the leprosy, they go show themselves to the priest. If they would have went there with leprosy, he would have known they didn't obey the word. So if they are healed then the priest offers a sacrifice of two turtle doves for them, and they are accepted back into the congregation of the people of Israel. So that's the what the law said. Jesus told them to not worry about that, but just to go and show themselves to the priest. That was that would be believing that they had received. They knew that meant that they were healed. But when Jesus spoke that they weren't manifestly healed. Notice. So Jesus also was speaking faith. Ah. And they were walking by faith. Those lepers were walking by faith. And not only that, but Jesus spoke it by faith. Because he didn't see it yet when he spoke it. So they were walking out their faith to go show the priests that they were healed. And guess what? When they did that, they were healed. Luke 17 and 14, And when he saw them, he said unto them, uh, Go and show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass, as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorifying God, and he fell upon his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So don't forget to give praise and thanks to God when he gives you something. Right? Where were the rest of them? Everybody ought to first give thanks to God. Maybe the rest were thinking, Oh, I need to go to see my family and show them what the Lord did for me when it should have been more important to them to go back and give thanks to God. And I imagine that they had been separated from their families for a long time, and there were people they needed really to see, really wanted to go back and hug. But God wants the thanks first, doesn't he? Yes, he does. Ah. <sighs> Okay, here's a testimony. When we came out of the apostate church about five years ago, this is somebody sent to me, we spent the first three years studying uh, our own, on our own, going through the Bible, learning as much as we could. About two years ago, we found your website and started going through all of the teachings. We joined the conference talks about that time uh, that you had started doing a series on the real good news. And listening to the testimonies of the brothers has increased our faith tremendously. Our eyes have really been opened 
to what living by faith is and how to live by faith. For example, we have a Ford with 260,000 miles on it. And when we learned that we could pray for our cars, we started laying our hands on it and pray and praying fixes for it every time it started to have a problem. Now our van is running great. All our friends think we are crazy. <laughs> but we know the Lord will continue to keep our van on the road for as long as we need it. So, um, our daughter, who had been helping me put uh, background videos together, woke up one morning with her wrist hurting so much that she couldn't use her hand. And we prayed for her, but her hand and arm turned purple. And in the weakness of our flesh, we took her to the doctor. The doctor said that her wrist had been sprained. She would have pain for the next few weeks and that she couldn't use her hand. Not accepting that bad report, she refused to take the medication, and after we prayed for her again, anointing her hand with all, three days later, her hand was completely healed. What happened to all that time it was supposed to take? I've had the same experience. So, well, we have run out of time, and... uh I'll leave the text here, and you can read the text for yourself. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness to us, Lord. We need to speak and believe and watch you do miracles. Help us, Father. Help us. Help us to be overcomers in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Thank you, saints. God bless you and keep you. We'll do this again sometime. My thirsting soul, purest water made me whole. Let your streams of mercy flow, oh Jesus. I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus. Jesus